0: Wisconsin's Afternoon News is on the air. Broadcasting live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue in beautiful downtown Milwaukee.
1: Here's John McCure. All right, the team is here. Sandy Max is in the studio. So is Greg Matzik. Debbie Lazaga is here. And Adam Roberts is producing the show this afternoon. The things we've got our eyes on on this Monday.
0: This is the Three. three, three. At 3 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. All right, Sandy, where do we start?
2: Average gas prices in Wisconsin are down for the first time in the new year.
1: They are. They're down about 20 cents in the last 10 days. No refinery issues. People aren't driving a lot this time of year. It all equates to gas prices being down about 20 cents in the Milwaukee area. Uh, GasBuddy.com says that average gasoline prices in the state have fallen 10 cents in the last week. And there's more good news. Home heating prices and home We Energy's bills are expected to drop maybe a little bit because of the mild weather that we're bounced back into again and because there's an increased supply of natural gas. So, oh, it's all good. <laughs> it's all good right now on the energy front. What's next? Marquette men's basketball
2: stock continues to rise with Shaka Smart's program up to number 10 in the latest AP Top 25 poll.
1: Yeah, they've won five straight games tied with Xavier for first place in the Big East. And they are climbing. They've cracked the Top 25. Greg, this is a pretty talented team. And I think the season kind of snuck up on people a little bit.
3: Well, a little bit. Uh, it, so the last few years, Marquette has started off hot and then sort of faded down the stretch and didn't have a lot of momentum going into the tournament. Feels different this time around, and this team has not lost back-to-back games at all this season. They're 19-5. and You mentioned five straight wins, but they've also won 10 out of 11. Wow. So it's really a pretty good stretch against conference opponents. And the conference is is always solid, right? There's no no top-three team like you've seen in years past. But you do have a handful of teams here that'll be in the big tournament, no doubt about that. Marquette
1: is certainly one of them, playing great. And you've been in five serve. That place has been rocking for some of the games this year.
2: Absolutely. And then Saturday was National Marquette Day, which really yep. just brought people together, watch parties all around the country, actually all around the world. So to have this momentum and have another win over Butler last Saturday really feels good.
1: Yeah, go Golden Eagles, <laughs> go Panthers. Good basketball being played in Milwaukee and Bucky, right now. go Bucky, don't
2: give up. Don't give up. <laughs> I'm the, the eternal optimist. Yes,
1: you are. You are <laughs> for sure. What's the third thing?
2: A historic night at the Grammys. Beyonce set a new record for most Grammy wins of all
4: time. I'd like to thank my parents, my father, my mother for loving me and pushing me. I'd like to thank my beautiful husband, my beautiful three children who are at home watching. I'd like to thank the queer community for your love and for inventing the genre. God bless you. Thank you so much to the Grammys.
2: And there were also, i actually I'm quite touched at how emotional she got. I feel like she's one of those yeah. super superstars that Maybe full of herself, you know, just she's at diva status, and her behavior does not reflect that. Yeah, seems nice. very nice. a touched. good moment. Yeah. Uh, but also, in addition, Wisconsin had a couple of wins last night. Cheryl Pavelski, a name that people may know around here, grew up in Milwaukee, a Pius High grad, mm-hmm. a Marquette grad, one of my friends. Uh, she is part of Omnivore Recordings, a label that has... that that focuses on musical legacies, she won her third Grammy last night for Best Historical Album. It was a Wilco, a band out of Chicago uh, compilation, celebrating 20 years of that band. And then there's a jazz band uh, that a trumpeter, Milwaukee native Mike Mazmare, jazz funk group Snarky Puppy, Won their fifth Grammy last night, so congratulations! There's a, there's another band called Skinny Puppy from the '80s that was industrial music. That's different. not them, different band. Uh, so congratulations to Cheryl Pavelski, the great work that she does, and to Snorky
1: Puppy. Fun to have local connections. It is three thirteen at WTMJ. We continue to follow developments with China. U.S. Congressman Mike Gallagher up next. The update on that communist balloon that was shot down over the Atlantic. Right now, Coast Guard and naval crews are scouring the water there. They secured a couple square mile area off the coast of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And they are recovering debris. U.S. Congressman Mike Gallagher is the chairman of the Select Committee on China. We had the chance to catch up with the congressman and discuss this earlier today. A lot of debate has been going on about whether or not we should have shot down the balloon earlier. I guess my question to you, and you know more than the rest of us, is before it got to the continental United States, when it was over the ocean near Alaska, we knew about this for days, at least some in government did. Was there an opportunity earlier to take out this balloon or to act sooner than we did?
0: I believe we could have shot it down over the Aleutian Islands in Alaska. The only excuse that I could see for why we didn't, because the debris excuse, doesn't hold in that case, would be if we weren't tracking it early enough to do it. But everything I've read, and I've just gotten back to D.C., and we're looking forward to having some in-depth classified briefings later tonight and throughout the week, suggests that we were tracking it such that we could have shot it down. Um, and then I think you would have, one, minimized any risk to civilians on the ground. Two, if there was a value in tracking it, sort of collecting against the asset, you could have done that. And three, you could have avoided the massive diplomatic and deterrence blunder of allowing this thing to sort of slowly make its way across the United States from Alaska all the way to the Carolinas, insulting us uh, at every step of the way. So um, if there's a better excuse, I have yet to hear it. Uh, the administration's explanation has thus far not made any sense to me. Uh, the bigger question lurking in the background in my mind is whether This was deliberately timed by the Chinese Communist Party to coincide with Secretary Blinken's visit to embarrass him, embarrass us. That would be well within their playbook. You know, they've done this to him before. They did it to his deputy. They did it to Obama in 2016 when he went to China. Uh, It goes all the way back to the early parts of the Cold War. Um, It's sort of ingrained in their DNA. So we don't know if that's the case yet, but um, this was a very troubling indication of, the way in which the CCP does not respect American sovereignty.
1: Congressman Mike Gallagher is with us. Congressman, according to the Associated Press and Bloomberg, earlier in the Biden administration there was a balloon over the United States. Three times during the Trump administration there were similar balloons over the United States. Should we shoot them down each time?
0: We certainly should have a well-developed standard operating procedure for doing so, which it appears we don't. But to dig into that story, this is a huge, huge question. Um, because multiple Trump administration officials have denied it. I've talked to all of them in the last 48 hours, and they said if this had happened three times in the Trump administration, we were unaware of it. So one of two things is true. Either the military was aware and did not brief civilian officials, which is a massive problem for civil-military relationships, or we weren't able to piece it together or understand that it had happened until after the fact, which is a massive problem for our early warning and tracking system. So either way, that actually raises more questions than it answers. And I think, you know, two days ago, the administration, there was an anonymous Pentagon official, trotted that out there in an attempt to downplay the incident. Like, no, it's no big deal. It happened in the Trump administration. They didn't do anything about it. But I think they inadvertently stirred up a hornet's nest, of questions. So that's one of the many things we're going to demand an answer to in the coming, coming weeks.
2: Congressman Gallagher, as the chairman of the House Select Committee on China, I got to think that you have gained this knowledge over a period of time. What got you first interested in China's government and culture to this level?
0: Well, quite honestly, you know, my the first 15 years of my career in the military and as a policy person, I was a Middle East uh, focused uh, expert. I was an Arabist uh, and an Arabic linguist. Um, and so I was late to the game here. I may be sooner than some congressmen, only because I had a good friend I served within the Marine Corps who ended up becoming deputy national security advisor, who was a real you know Mandarin linguist and Chinese expert who kind of woke me up. And then in 2015, there was a big hack by China of the Office of Personnel Management. And I remember getting a letter saying, you know, my military records may have been compromised. That was my first big road to Damascus moment, wake-up call. And then I started to piece together all the things we were seeing with island building in the South and East China Sea, an increasingly bellicose, Xi Jinping, who had come to power in 2012, I believe. And then it just became an obsession of mine during, you know, my first years in Congress. And I do believe this is the existential challenge of our time. Um, if for no other reason, we've become too dependent economically. On China. I don't know if you remember early on in the pandemic, the Chinese Communist Party threatened to cut off the export of advanced pharmaceutical ingredients to plunge us into a sea of coronavirus was the phrase they used. And just imagine if they had that type of leverage and were willing to use it in wartime and deny us access to life saving drugs. That just gives you a window into how foolish our two decade strategy of becoming dependent on them was. And so uh, I'm hoping to use this committee to wake up a lot of my colleagues to the threat and build a bipartisan consensus around the urgent actions we need to take in order to defend our country and our sovereignty before it's too late.
1: Do we have similar balloons over China?
0: I I I'm not going to comment on anything classified uh, that we have. Um, You know, we have a robust presence in the Indo-Pacific, and I think we have an interest in understanding everything that's happening um, around China, particularly given how threatening They are, Um, but I think what this reveals, for any casual observer, is that, you know, there are gaps in our homeland defense, and this isn't an over-there problem. It's a right-here problem. And if China's able to float a balloon, whether for intelligence, surveillance and reconnaissance purposes, or imagine if something like this was weaponized over the continent of the United States, I think it should remind us all that in modern warfare, if we actually found ourselves in a confrontation with China over Taiwan— the vast Pacific Ocean would not offer a defense. We have to look at this as a global competition, and right now we're too myopically focused uh, either on their near abroad or you know our own you know uh, sort of narrow view here domestically.
2: And Representative Gallagher, you mentioned Taiwan, and you seem concerned that Taiwan could become a future Ukraine
0: hundred percent. I think we've entered the, the window of maximum danger with respect to Taiwan. Xi Jinping keeps reminding us that he's committed to reunifying Taiwan with the mainland by force if necessary. And despite what we saw in Ukraine, we, we tend not to take these authoritarian seriously or take them at their word. Um, more to the point, you know, we have a bunch of defense bills that are coming due This decade, And if you believe that the Chinese economy has some storm clouds on the horizon, particularly in the 2030s, demographic issues they have to deal with, slowing growth, property bubbles, etc., I think it will likely make them more aggressive in the near term. So this is the decade of maximum danger. We need to be on our toes and we need to be moving heaven and earth in order to surge hard power into the Indo-Pacific in order to prevent war. And we should remind ourselves that ours is a defensive strategy. We're not trying to take any territory. We're not trying to remake any society in our image. We're trying to defend the frontiers of freedom from authoritarian aggression. And so we have a lot of work to do, and time is not on our side.
1: That is U.S. Congressman Mike Gallagher. Wisconsin's Afternoon News on WTMJ. i I've
4: been messing around. I've been messing around.
1: Can we trade Aaron Rodgers already? I mean, can we just do it? Can we just be done with this? Please, he's going to decide. He's indicated in the next couple of weeks he's going to say something, right? Isn't that kind? I remember him saying something that implied that. that Well,
3: he's not going to do it Super Bowl week,
1: right? I mean, things sort of die down after the Super Bowl, and usually,
3: I don't know. Once you flip the calendar to March, you really start thinking ahead to free agency, the league year. You start getting draft profiles that. I don't know that that's when he did it last year. March eighth was the
1: day last year we learned Aaron was coming back. Can we do it like March first this year? sure, can we do it like February fifteenth okay
2: a Valentines gift mean, that Josh. as well
1: <laughs> Well,
3: yeah had a lot of fun golfing over the weekend. I'll tell you that much he did so and i I'm trying to figure out what Aaron Rodgers is trying to do. Is he just trolling fans? Is he trying to seize control? Is he trying to make the Packers feel like, hey, I'm not feeling the love anymore, and then this is on you, not me. Like, I'm I'm kind of confused where he is, but I remember feeling the same way a year ago. The difference is, last year he was an MVP, coming off an MVP season. And this year, well, not so much. Yeah, right? he had so, a disadvantage.
2: Yeah. And he was, when he was an MVP, he was making all of these demands, so at least we knew what his checklist was. I want right. this player, I want this much control, I want to be part of the conversation. There's nothing like that now. Now it's like, I don't know. Do I want the money? I don't know. Well, last year it was
3: all about Denver, right? Ooh, Nathaniel Hackett's in Denver. <laughs> right. Aaron's going to Denver. It's going to happen. This year there are more teams in the mix because there are fewer big-time quarterbacks in the mix. So here's one component of the weekend. It's, it's Devontae talking to folks from the NFL Network during... I don't know what that was. They call it Pro Bowl festivities over yeah. <laughs> weekend. But nonetheless, here's what Devonte had to say. Have you started recruiting Aaron Rodgers to be the new Raiders quarterback?
4: Duh. <laughs> why, why would Why would anybody not do that? I mean, 100%. That's my guy, obviously, and wishful thinking, but we'll see what happens. What's your best recruiting pitch uh, that I'm
3: here? Okay, so that's happening in Las Vegas. <laughs> Meanwhile, Raiders fans are dotting the course at Pebble Beach and letting Rodgers hear it. I'm just going to say that the uh, predominant... Uh, team that we hear as we're walking is Raiders. Yes. A lot of a lot of Raider fans <laughs> are encouraging me. A lot of Devontae misses you comments. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So we're having some fun with it. It's a great uh, you know great event for the fans to come out here and you know, they turn it into a game. How many teams would be represented on the course and how many would have a word for Aaron Rodgers? It's fun to be here. It's such a great event. Fans are amazing. A lot of people yelling different teams. They want me to come to next year, um, which has been fun because uh, we got a little uh, inside bet going about which team is going to have the most fans, but uh, it's been fun. Okay, so none of that isn't true, right? right? Like, he's, right. He, like he's, he draws up a little controversy and talk value, but all of what he
1: said is 100% true. He loves this. Oh, he, he sure loves does. this. He sure does. He's never been more in love with anything in his life.
2: He he likes the attention. Do you think we're? Do you think he's a little jealous that Tom Brady has a movie out this weekend all about him? <laughs> eighty for be. Brady. There and isn't. That Brady
1: any... made the big announcement last week. Yeah,
2: there's no eighty for Aaron. Maybe he's just trying to do what he can to suck some of that attention away. No, because well, Aaron doesn't. has
1: choked in the playoffs for the last five years, and Brady has how many Super Bowls? Five, six? Seven? Seven. 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 Unbelievable. So I, what I wonder is, is it, does this exhaust you as a Packers
3: fan? And and did it a year ago, but you were just more willing to tolerate it? Because you knew Aaron was still coming off an MVP season, and, and he looked great. I mean, it was unbelievable, except in those big games, as you talked about, John. Year after is, year, Greg. That's a, it's accurate, right? In his last ten big games, I'll let you count what big games they are.
2: Well, on that it's world stage, terrible. you in know, London, but on that world stage, I was shocked that if you want to talk about ego and attention, that he would have let that game turn out that way. He
1: let every game turn out that <laughs> right, way last yeah, year. But it's just like As far as teamwork, it's just... Y- Here's what irritates you me. Okay, mm-hmm. You signed the big contract. You're coming off the MVP. So even though Wisconsin was split, I think most people came around to, all right, let's run this back, let's do it, pay him the money, he's the MVP. And then he couldn't bother to get his ass to training camp, to OTAs, to work with what he knew was a young group of wide receivers. Couldn't do it. Wouldn't do it. He'd rather be off smoking stuff on some island in the South Pacific. And then it all falls apart. And he wonders why. I'm just tired of the act. I'm just, I'm tired of it. And he's not worth that money. We're paying him so much money. It's not like we got a bargain, so uh, we're not paying him much, let's bring him back. He's going to break the bank. That's where I come down. Sixty million for a guy averaging two hundred ten yards
3: passing is just, oh, <laughs> just God. I don't know, I just don't see it, I guess. <laughs> but it, it's a different I think it's a different feeling among most Packers fans this year as compared to a year ago, largely due to his play. I also believe this. Hmm. I think the Packers are interested in the public opinion. And I think it they see it swaying in their favor, versus last year it well, was you gotta get Rodgers back. You get you get your love's not ready, you look terrible. You gotta get Rodgers back. This year, I think if you were to poll Packers fans, more than fifty percent would say trade them. That's different from a year ago. Before they kicked it up a notch at the end of the season,
2: how many people in your circles did you hear? Hey, I'm about to board the love train. Yeah, I'm ready. Right.
3: Right. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah, you're right. Right? I think that was people were want that people wanted to see the Packers either get into the playoffs or see Jordan Love start the final few games. And wouldn't you know it, they played just well they enough got to be high. relevant, yeah. and they still didn't <laughs> make the playoffs, and Jordan still didn't play.
1: Yeah, that was absolutely brutal. They've got a real problem on the border between Ohio and Pennsylvania. Near a small town on the Ohio side, a train has derailed. It's carrying hazardous chemicals, and they've now evacuated an area in both sides of the state saying people need to get out. This is what the governor of Ohio said. People who don't leave could face a grave danger of death. You need to leave now. We're fearing that there will be gas leaks and possible explosions that could launch shrapnel and lead to a catastrophic explosion. This is a real, real problem. So they're trying to figure it out right now. As a matter of fact, this afternoon, they're scheduled to try to get some of the liquid out of some of those cars. We'll keep you updated on how that plays out.
2: That's one of those moments where your life changes in an instant. Like, you can plan for a whole lot of things in your life. This is not one of them. Immediate evacuation out of your home for an indefinite time.
1: Yeah, go now. It reminds me, we had the same thing happen here in Waiowega, up in Waupaca County, 27 years ago. A train derailed there. 3,000 people were forced from their home. This is from WBAY-TV. It kind of explains what went down
4: that day all those years ago it was uh, an experience that I wouldn't wish on anybody. But I'm again so grateful that it went well.
5: It was the early morning hours of March fourth, nineteen ninety six, when nearly half of the eighty one cars from the Wisconsin Central train derailed while crossing over North Mill Street. Huge flames lit up the city sky as firefighters responded to the scene.
4: The first view of the actual scene was not comforted by any chance imagination. We had uh, several fires going on in several different locations, and uh, we once again just assumed that we could put it out. We just needed to be able to get set up and do it.
5: But as crews worked to put out the flames, they had no success. Fourteen of the derailed cars were full of nearly half a million gallons of propane. The only thing they
4: could do was to let it burn. The more information we got, the more uh, concerned we were with the whole situation
5: with major concerns over a possible explosion and the belief it could level the city all seventeen hundred residents were evacuated given just minutes to get out of their homes
4: we had people that left their wallets behind people that left their um, medication behind people that left their pets behind all those became problem issues when uh, after they left
5: because instead of being evacuated for a few hours, the residents were gone from their homes for nearly three weeks.
1: TV. the male voice you heard there, that was Jim Bayman. He was the incident commander in charge of the fire department during that derailment. Okay, so that was a Monday, March 4th, 1996. I'm a reporter in Green Bay. This is in the Green Bay viewing area. I come into work and my boss points at the TVs in the corner of the room and he goes, you need to go now. I said, what, what is that? Where is that? He said, it's in Waiwiga, 45 minutes from Green Bay. Get a photographer. Get in your car. You need to go down there. We don't know what's really going on. As we got down there, all these cars were – we had aerial footage. We could see the crumpled train cars off the tracks. And as we got down there, one of the tanker cars erupted, and there was a huge fireball that launched into the sky. Now, we were a couple miles away. They were keeping us all very far away. But it just lit up the sky, and we could see – People that had evacuated the town, they cleared out the whole town in the middle of winter, turned it into a ghost town.
2: Wow, what does that sound like?
1: Oh my God! It, two miles away, you could hear it. Boom. Yeah, like it was just really wow. loud sound. So then they made the decision. All these people are out of their t- out of out of the house, and they were told to evacuate immediately. People left without their wallets, without their purse, without their pets, without their medications, thinking they were leaving probably for the afternoon until it gets figured out. They ended up leaving and then being told, we were all told at the same time they were at this huge building where they had all the residents gather. "Uh, You're not going back. And you're not going back anytime soon. It ended up being three weeks.
2: Three weeks.
1: Before people could return to their home. Now, after about a week, they let people go back and get their pets. After a week. So people were allowed with escorts to go back into town through a back route away from the railroad tracks because this train derailed right near the main road into town to get to their house, to get their stuff, and it ended up that people, Waiowigas on a lake, were sneaking across on snowmobiles and with snowshoes on to get into their house and get their stuff. Farmers were sneaking across the frozen lakes and rivers to try to tend to their animals.
2: Well, sure. When you say Waiowiga, I think of the cheese. That's what I buy yeah. at Woodman's. That's the first thing I thought of. It's like, so yeah, you, you can't leave your livestock alone. Yeah.
1: Water pipes. Wow. Water pipes frozen, burst in unheated homes because they decided to turn the gas off to the city. So you're out of your home. Your house is not heated anymore. It's still winter. And so pipes were bursting all over. And people's homes got damaged big time because water ran through their house because the heat oh. had been turned off. And they didn't have a chance to turn their water off. I remember sitting at a gas station on the outside of Waiwiga day after day after day eating Pringles and drinking Diet Coke. I feel like that's all I ate for two weeks. Pringles and Diet Coke. And I had it easy. Meal of an investigative reporter. Yeah. And I had it easy because I got to go home at night, and these people were just out of their house forever. And it was like a scene from the apocalypse. It was like an abandoned city, houses being flooded with water, people not being allowed in, and it was just the craziest thing. It's a miracle this is Jim Bayman's words, not mine. It's a miracle no one died, and remarkably, no one was injured. We call it the safest disaster in American history. Just crazy.
2: That was 500, what was it, 500,000 gallons of propane?
1: Um, it was like half
2: a million, I think is what that reporter yeah, said. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: 3,100 residents so as all evacuated. So you were there
2: for every day of those three weeks... Yep. What was that process like? The first week, shock. Like, and then the second week, you know, I'm yeah. mad. I can't get in there.
1: Frustration because we couldn't get close enough to good pictures, and we knew that wouldn't be safe. But frustrating because it was hard to get good information. And they would brief us twice a day. They would come to where reporters were standing, and they would brief us. Uh, we talked to residents, but after a week, he we got tired of just talking to people who were complaining because they couldn't get back to their house, and they had a legitimate complaints.
2: And that's. But what do you? Do you, you have to stay with family and friends? Yeah, we weren't working remotely hotel. in nineteen ninety six, and you know it's we didn't like, have cell phones. They, there's a lot. Like, what a different way yeah. of life.
1: Yeah, it was crazy, that's for sure. And now they're dealing with it in Ohio and Pennsylvania.